Good morning, everyone. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Dr. Tennant, for your introduction. You know, I've prayed apostolic prayers over Dr. Tennant uh, because God has placed an apostolic calling on his life, and his influence is of an apostolic nature. And so we are so honored and, and pleased that God is using him so powerfully and beautifully through Asbury Seminary. And it's always good to be with the Bishop Gwen. Good to see you, Al. Always a pleasure. My wife, Beth, is here today. Thank you, Jessica, for the invitation to be with you today. Welcome to chapel this morning. As Dr. Tennant mentioned, I am in my 40th year in my first appointment. I, I'm staying till I get it right, and, or until they say time's up. And so it's a pleasure uh, to be with you. And uh, I've been a servant of Jesus, a follower of Jesus now in my 50th year. And I know you're looking at me saying, you can't possibly be that old. Uh, I understand, but it's true. Uh, one piece of business for me, I'm looking for a youth director. So if I'm talking to you here today, you come and t see me afterwards. I need, need to see you. Appreciate that. Heard a good one recently. I hope, uh, I hope you'll enjoy it too. Moses, Jesus, and an old man went out to play golf. Moses teed it up first. He hooked his drive. The ball rolled into the pond. Moses walked up to the edge of the pond, raised his arms. The waters parted. He walked out, found his ball, chipped it up on the green. Jesus then teed, teed off, and he too snap-hooked his drive, and the ball's rolling toward the pond, only this time the ball rolled out on top of the water. Jesus walked out on the water, addressed his ball, and pitched it up on the green. The old man, uh, probably under the influence of the other two, hit his drive, he hit it really hard, and he snap-hooked it, and the ball's flying right for the pond. Just before the, the ball gets to the pond, a fish jumps up out of the pond, grabbing the ball in midair in its mouth. Before the fish has the, the time to fall back into the pond, an eagle swoops down and grabs the fish by its talons and begins to fly off. At the same time, a lightning bolt comes out of nowhere crashing right beside the eagle, startling the eagle. He drops the fish. The fish falls down on the green. The ball pops out of its mouth, rolls nine feet or so into the hole for a hole-in-one. <laughs> Jesus turns to the old man and says, Dad, if you don't stop fooling around, we're not going to let you play with us anymore. <laughs> okay, so that worked okay. Famous quote by John Wesley. Most of you have heard it not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist in either Europe or America, but I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast to both the doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they first set out. Years ago, I was at a conference at Taylor University in Upland, Indiana, and one of the keynoters there was uh, Dr. Sundo Kim, now Bishop Kim, whom I've enjoyed a relationship with here on the Board of Trustees at Asbury. Uh, Bishop Kim uh, cultivated the largest Methodist church in the world, 85,000 members in one congregation. That's as big as my city. Just let that soak for a minute, if you can get your mind around that. And Dr. Kim gave the morning address at this conference, and he finished, and he left the platform, and he was standing against the wall near the front of the room, and a thousand people in a room, and nobody's talking to Dr. Kim. And I thought, that doesn't seem right. 
And so I went over to Dr. Kim. I said, may I buy your lunch? He said, you may. I took him to lunch, and I sat down with him, and I asked him some questions, as you can imagine, a young pastor asking a great leader like that. And he told me a couple of things that day. He said, you have to pray, and after you pray, you obey. Pray and obey. I said, thank you, Dr. Kim. That's, that's good. Is there anything else? And he looked at me with great conviction, and he said, always preach the gospel. A few years after that, I was in a conference in Little Rock, Arkansas. I was in a hotel lobby, and I glanced over and saw a man whom I recognized by reputation, but I had never met. This was Ed Robb Sr. Many of us know Ed, Ed Robb the Jr., also a member of the Board of Trustees for many years, grew a great church in Houston, Texas. But his dad, Ed Robb Sr., was an evangelist. He had a honorable military career, and then went into gospel preaching as an evangelist in the Wesleyan world. And I sat down and introduced myself to him, and we talked for a few moments, and then he looked at me and he said, I've preached the gospel of Jesus Christ for 50 years. He said, if God would give me a thousand lifetimes to live, I would spend every one of them preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let that mark you, just like it marked me. Most of you enjoy the tutelage of Dr. Ken Kinghorn on the faculty here at Asbury Seminary, and most of you didn't have the privilege of knowing his father, Ken Kinghorn the senior. He was my tutor here, got better acquainted with him at a faculty retreat years ago when I was invited to come and share the story of our church. And every time we met, all of these years later, Dr. Kinghorn, the senior, would perform this ritual with me. And he would see me across the room. This happened the first time. It was very poignant. He walked right up to me and got into my space, you know, just uncomfortably close, like too close. This is pre-COVID. <laughs> too close. He's in my space. And with that aw shucks grin that he he'd put on his face, he looked at me and, and he just very passionately looked me right in the eyes, and he said, Greg, are you still preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? And it was so probing, it was so provocative, that it made me pause the first time he did this to me. He did it many times to me. And I had to wait and consider the question and feel the significance of it, the weight of it, and I looked back at him and I said, yes, sir. I'm still preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he took his hands and put them on either of my shoulders and he said, it's a glorious gospel. He did that to me a dozen times over the years. And it is a glorious gospel. Our father, John Wesley, reminded us that if you want to have the power of this faith, that you must adhere to this doctrine, this gospel, the Apostle Paul said it this way, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Jesus himself said in Matthew's gospel, 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. 
It is a glorious gospel, my friends. And it should be believed, trusted, and proclaimed. Amen? Well, Father John also mentioned discipline as one of the earmarks of an authentic disciple. And there are all kinds of reference points that we could apply to the disciplined life, especially in the Wesleyan tradition. One of those, of course, is meaningful connections. John Wesley built, built a ministry that has touched the world now, beginning with the cornerstone, this basic concept of the class meeting, where instruction and encouragement and accountability made possible, and the structures after that with meaningful connections. Let me just suggest there are three meaningful connections that I have found important and valuable in my life. I refer it to you. One are those connections from people who are out ahead of you, who have gone where you're going, they've been there, and they can mentor you and coach you and father you and mother you in the faith. My spiritual father's a man by the name of George Wicks. George was an engineer with Eli Lilly, a Methodist layman, and he took early retirement because he and his wife Eva had this sense of call to coordinate lay witness missions. Some of you are familiar, back in the 70s and early 80s, 1970s, we, we saw this lay witness mission where teams of lay people would go into local churches for a weekend and share their testimony of Christ. And I found myself in a lay witness mission on a Friday night in my small town local church, 16 years old. And I began to experience for the first time in my life convicting grace. And I realized my lostness, my separation from God. And I didn't know what to do. And an invitation was given to come forward and kneel at an altar, and I did so in my little Methodist church in Boswell, Indiana, and there was one spot left on the very end, and I knelt down there, and I remember putting my head down and my hands on the kneeling rail, and I had no clue other than that I was lost. And I felt a warm hand on top of mine, and it was George Wicks. He said, do you need some help? I said, I do. And he led me to Christ. He led me to Christ. And then he took me under his wing, and he invited me to join these lay witness teams that he would conduct every weekend. He and his wife, Eva, over the course of 20 years, check this out, led over 400 lay witness missions. He's the greatest soul winner I've ever been around. I, I was with him hours and hours, and I watched him interact with people, and he always offered Christ to people. Then there are also people not only who are out in front of you that you should cultivate relationship with and connection, but also people who can walk alongside of you. Let me tell you about my best friend. His name is Reverend Dr. Mark Beeson. Mark and I have been friends for 38 years. Our families have vacation 37 consecutive years. We have done life together. We have shared our lives in every way you can imagine. About one year ago, Mark was diagnosed with uh, stage four pancreatic cancer. Mark planted a church in 1986 called Granger Community Church. It's in South Bend, Indiana, a suburb there. And over the course of those 33 years before his retirement a year ago because of health, Mark saw the church grow. And when he completed his work there, they were averaging over 5,000 people per weekend in their services. Remarkable leader 
a creative genius, uh, an amazing leader, and my best friend. Beth and I will travel to South Bend on Thursday this week to see, to see them, talk to Mark and his wife, Sheila. Hospice has been called in. Let me leave you this one reference point. For all of you ambitious and, ins- and aspiring young leaders, Mark started this church called Granger Community in 1986, and in those 33 years, they recorded adult baptisms. Here's the number. 7,641 adult baptisms in 33 years. There's a goal for you. Shoot for that one. Set that out in front of you and go for that one. See if you can top that. It's a remarkable record, isn't it? So inspiring and such a good friend. Then there are people who are behind you in the faith, who are trailing. You've been where they're going, and you want to cultivate those meaningful connections. I have a group of five men that I have traveled along in life with, men from my church. Uh, They are all 10 to 15 years younger than I am. I got a text from one of them this morning, you know, we're with you, we're praying for you. One of them is a head coach at Ball State University, another is the president, CEO of the largest nonprofit in that region of Indiana. Another is an independent contractor, very successful. Two are bankers. One of my banker friends was just named the new president and CEO of the largest regional bank in our part of Indiana. That was just a week and a half ago. He sent me a one-sentence email the day of the press release announcing his position, his promotion to the presidency of the bank. And he simply said, I am going to invite. I'm going to invite the king of kings into the bank every day. That's got to be good, right? That's got to be helpful. So meaningful connections. People out in front of you, cultivate those. Pray for those. People who walk alongside of you, pray for those. Become that friend. Ask God to to give you such connections and people who are falling behind you. And those opportunities will complete what Father John Wesley suggested was the disciplines. The last piece is spirit. Now, I know you realize that Wesley was talking more than simply lighting a candle on an altar table. As important as that symbolism is. We get a clue earlier in his statement about what he may imply. He said, having a form of religion without the power. This is a big deal. I preached my first sermon when I was 17 years old. It was the Youth Sunday in our little Methodist church, you know, uh, less than 100 people in our local church, and it was Youth Sunday, and so the youth took over the service, and I was invited to preach. And I preached my first sermon at 17. The effect was uh, modest. As people were filing out that day, I was standing next to the pastor, and one of the matriarchs in the church came by, and she took me by the hand, and she patted me on top of the hand, and she said, that was nice, Greg. (laughs) Wasn't really the effect I was going for, but appreciated the encouragement. I've uh, observed about my life over these years now that I am a, I'm a God chaser. 
I'm curious about what God is doing. My life and work and ministry has been shaped by four questions. What in the world is God doing? Where, in, where is he doing it? Who is yet to be reached? How can I be involved? What is God doing? Where is he doing it? Who's yet to be reached? How can I be involved? And that, those questions have informed me. So even as a new believer, as a, as a teenager, I would chase after God. I'd ask the question, where, where is God at work? And I found myself going to other churches. I found myself going to storefront missions. I got in my car and drove to other states. I was chasing after God. And I discovered in the context of that chasing that God, the Holy Spirit, was active, alive and well in the world. That the person and work of the Holy Spirit is a meaningful connection and one that we should chase after. And I had experiences with the Holy Spirit. And I went back to my little youth group. We had 12, 15 teenagers in our youth group. We all came to faith pretty much at the same time during that lay witness season. And this was a year later. And I reported to them, not in this vernacular, but in terms that the best I could describe at the time, it's, I hadn't been to Asbury Seminary yet to know the term. But essentially I was saying, hey, there is a subsequent work of grace available to followers of Jesus. The person and work of the Holy Spirit is available to us to purify our lives and to empower our ministry and life. And, and the question that we find in the book of Acts is, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed became a relevant question. And so we began to pray for God's very best and for everything God had available to his people. And even as teenagers, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit began to be poured out. Our youth group grew from about 15 kids to over 100 within the course of a year. This is in a town with less than 1,000 people. Our parents were concerned about what was going on. But we gave witness, we gave witness to miracles that would slide right into the New Testament. I could tell you, I could tell you supernatural phenomenon that took place when we were teenagers. My wife here, she was all part of this. That when I describe them to you, there are people in this room today and within the sound of my voice who would doubt that what I'm saying is true. That it has veracity. I don't believe that happened. I'm telling you, it happened. We were giving witness to amazing miracles of God. So the next year rolled around. It was time for Youth Sunday. <laughs> so a bunch of us spirit-filled teenagers decided we'd go to the church that morning at 4.30. And we would pray five hours and pray that the Spirit would be poured out on our church service that day. Well, that's exactly what happened. I gave an invitation after preaching that sermon at the age of 18, and 16 adults came to the front of this little church and knelt down. And the rest of us led them to Christ, just as we had been led to Christ at the same altar about a year earlier. I made a note, an internal reference point. I said, Greg, you need to remember this. A year ago, you preached a sermon at the age of 17. The sermon was terrible. Nobody responded in any meaningful way. 
a year later, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what do you suppose I became a good preacher between 17 and 18? Sermon was terrible, but bathed in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. My parents, though churchgoers, were not followers of Jesus. I went home from school one day and my mother reported to me that that day alone at home with her Bible open, she had prayed to receive Christ as her Savior. She wanted me to know. I was 18 years old. My father worked with his brother-in-law, his sister's husband, his brother-in-law, my uncle, for many years in a small town business and they were best of friends and my uncle developed cancer and he died at the age of 57. The night that he died was an August evening. My dad, who didn't know Jesus, 43 years old, lost as he could be and had absolutely no context or resource to deal with the death of his best friend. It was after midnight on that calm August evening that my mother came into my bedroom, woke me up. I was 19 years old, and she said, Dad wants to talk to you, and I went down to their bedroom, and there in the second-story bedroom on this August evening, they had their bedroom window open, shears hanging in front of that window. It was dead calm, a hot August night. My dad was in tears. This was something I did not see a handful of times growing up. My dad, at 43 years old, confessed to me, his 19-year-old son, I don't know what to do. And I said, I know how to help you. And so I knelt down beside my parents at the side of their bed, and I led my dad to Christ. When my dad said the amen to the prayer to receive Christ, a wind on this dead calm after midnight evening, a wind... God, now listen, you know, God's listening to what I say. I'll give an account for every th- word I say in moments like this. God is my witness. A wind came in the second story window of my parents' bedroom and stood the shears straight out for about three seconds. And then they fell completely quiet again. My dad, with the fear of God in his eyes, <laughs> looked at me and said, What was that? <laughs> said, Dad, that's the Holy Spirit. I remember walking back to my room that night going, wow, God, whoo, <laughs> showing off tonight. Wow, that was something. <laughs> There's an amazing phenomenon. We find it in the book of Acts chapter 5. The, the chapter begins there with, with the apostles uh, leading the early church And signs and wonders were being performed by the apostles, we find there. The the death of Ananias and Sapphira is at the head of that chapter. Great fear came upon all the people. You think? Amazing. Very dramatic. And then, middle of the chapter, we get this interesting concept, this, this glimpse So much so was God at work that they were laying people who were sick and handicapped on cots on on the side of the road so that even the shadow of the apostle Peter might be cast on them so that they might be healed. 
That is, that is fascinating. And the question that I want to leave you with today is simply this. Whose shadow do you want to cast? You have a choice in this. Wesley said that you can cast your own shadow. And that's not all bad because, you know, everyone that I'm talking to today, you're exceptional people. If you weren't exceptional, you wouldn't be in this room. You wouldn't be in the other chapel. You wouldn't be online watching this. You would, you're exceptional already. You're outstanding. And you can take your intellect and your capacity and your natural talents and, and your winsome personality and you can just run with it and, and run, run well with it. But sooner or later, if you're casting your own shadow, it becomes a shadow of your own carnality, a shadow of your own weakness, a shadow of your own failure, a shadow of your own dysfunction, a shadow of death. Or we can choose to cast the shadow of God with a meaningful connection with the power, person, and work of the Holy Spirit so that our life and the shadow we cast on the people that we are given influence with can experience the transforming power of the gospel. Whose shadow do you want to cast? So we come full circle now to our context today in John chapter 20. This is a week or so after the resurrection and Jesus suddenly appears in a room where the disciples are gathered for fear and the doors are locked. And he reminds them to be at peace. Easy for him to say. Shocking. He reminds them of the mission. And then this beautiful pastoral expression. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Could we conclude our time this morning? By receiving that prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're within the sound of my voice today and this is a, a challenge that perhaps you haven't received before. To receive the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you're within the sound of my voice and this is not only an experience and a practice that you've had in your past, but you would admit today, I need a fresh touch of God. I need more of Him. I tell my folks back in Indiana that even the, the best tractor on the biggest farm once in a while needs fresh oil. Maybe you need fresh oil. If that's true for you today, would I, could I just encourage you where you are, wherever you are, just to lift your hand, just hold it up and keep it up. Lord, I need a fresh touch of your spirit. Now let me pray for you. And Jesus breathed on them and said, receive, receive the Holy Spirit. My friend, my son, my daughter, receive the Holy Spirit. 
receive and experience a special touch of His grace to cleanse and purify and empower your life. So that every day we might cast the shadow of God as we walk through this world. Not our own shadow, but God's shadow. If His grace poured out, convicting grace, saving grace, healing grace, sustaining grace, glorifying grace all the way to the end. So Lord, mark us today with the words of our Father John, that doctrine and discipline and spirit, these are the practices. These are the experiences of authentic discipleship. So we receive of your truth and of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people said, Amen.